The Athletic. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Race F1 podcast. The show you're about to hear isn't the same as our usual ones. It was recorded live on Sunday, February 12th in front of 300 people at King's Place in London as part of the Pod Live Sports Podcast Festival. If you were there, a big thanks for coming along. It was great to meet so many of you and we hope you enjoy listening to it back. If you weren't there, we very much hope you get a kick out of hearing me, Ed Straw, and my guests, Scott Mitchell-Mown and Sky Sports F1's Ted Kravitz, discussing 2023's big rivalries and having plenty of fun along the way. Race is on for the Race F1 podcast live in London. Please welcome your host, Ed Straw. Hello, London. Well, thank you very much for the warm welcome and for all of you coming, sparing your Sunday afternoon to hear us wittering on. It's our first live show from the Race F1 podcast, so it's your chance to see us live uncut and see just how much editing it takes to make us sound coherent when it comes to the final show. So we've got loads to look forward to this year. The Bahrain Grand Prix only a few weeks away. We've had a few new cars already launched, a few on track as well. And it's going to be a really good season, I think. So we're really going to talk about that today and hopefully get everybody excited for the new season. And as Johnny tested you out, is everyone excited for 2023 F1? The great thing is you're getting more excited with every time we ask the question. So by the end of this podcast, you are going to be delighted. So it wouldn't be much of a podcast with just me wittering away, much as I'd like to try out my stand-up act. But let's bring on the first guest. He's the most prolific question-answer in Formula One press conferences. His name is one-third IKEA brand, and right now he's probably working on some content that's biased against your very favourite driver or team. It's Scott Mitchell Malm. Scott Mitchell Malm. Thank you. Yeah, this, uh, I'm very pleased with the uh, the welcome. I did uh, I did detect a hint of maybe half the room that thought oh, we thought this was a Mark Hughes episode. But thank you anyway for welcoming me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Mark couldn't quite make the journey all the way down from the north. He didn't have the three or four weeks that it takes to get down from that part of the world. But you'll be hearing him throughout the year. And I flew in from another country, so I don't know what his excuse is. That's not that's not fair. The north is another country. <laughs> that's what they always say about London, anyway. So yeah, to be expected. But a nice Swedish introduction. We're expecting plenty of Swedishness in the show. That's no, your job. No, no ABBA walk-on music, though. So, what was that about? Well, we, got, we came up with some proper Swedish folk music. I was, I was going to say what it was, but it's just library music. That famous <laughs> folk act from Sweden. <laughs> no, exactly. If it, it's a shame I'm not uh, living in Finland. Then we could have had some Finnish poker coming on. Yeah, yeah. That would have been dramatic. Well, then you could do the proper dance that we talked about that you cowered out of at the last minute. Yeah, I, I did panic. I, I just thought, like, everybody that has made, like you say, given up their Sunday afternoon to come and join us, I just thought maybe me doing some interpretive dance on stage would actually be worse than me talking, which is it's actually possible to do worse than that. So Yeah, that's 
we might scrap the interpretive dance section of the, uh, of the podcast that we've got planned, but there is lots to talk about. And we've introduced Scott Mitchell-Mam, so let's also bring on our second guest, a very special guest, F1's most celebrated paddock rambler, known to rub Max Verstappen up the wrong way, and he's handy with a notebook. He's Sky Sports F1's Ted Kravitz. <laughs> Checking that wasn't Christian Horn around the back. It's fine. It's somebody who looked a little bit like him. And this is this is some great glory hunting from you. Your first the Race F1 podcast appearance, and in front of our biggest crowd. Yeah, thanks you much. Thanks for having me. Uh, hello Ed. Hello Scott. Hello everybody. Thanks for coming. Um, I think Mark Hughes is currently being interviewed for the Williams technical director job, isn't he? I did see James Vowles sort of skulking around the back. So yeah, I think you do a pretty yeah. decent job. Mark, talk it's a good James. Uh, can you come and help us out? He talks. He seems to know exactly what's going on all the time. So yeah, happy to to deputise for him to let you know a bit what's been going on. Uh, we're preparing for a new season, of course, on Sky Sports F1, and uh, we're doing some filming, uh, some preparation work, and yeah, but nice to nice to be here by the Regent's Canal, of course, the famous Victorian canal that's stretches from Heathrow to the Limehouse Basin and then into the Thames. So, yeah, here to talk about Formula One and the uh, questionable characters, the murky waters and the odd bit of vermin. And we can also talk about the Regent's Canal as well. <laughs> I'll confess I didn't prepare for the local interest area of this podcast, but I'll add, li- I'll add lib. London is the capital of the UK, so there you go. I know <laughs> plenty about the area. You've not brought your paddock shorts with you, though, Ted. Well, middle of February, come on, you don't want to see it. And I haven't gone through my uh, week-long moisturising routine on my knees yet. So, uh, yeah, I have to go to a special clinic. (laughs) And I still look like I've spent the winter on my knees, which, of course, having three kids, I have. (laughs) All we need is your voice for this podcast and a little bit of physical presence. And some insight as well. Oh, we don't promise that no, from our previous podcast. We're not promising any of that. People here have listened to us, Scott. I've told you that. But that's why they're disappointed that Mark's not here. Well, <laughs> or exactly. Gary Anderson. Exactly. We're all disappointed by that. But uh, no, we will be seeing him very, very soon. We're going to talk about the big rivalries in F1 in this podcast. That's our main topic. So we're going to make ourselves comfortable and we'll get on with looking ahead to 2023. <laughs> Obvious place to start, Scott, Max Verstappen. How big a title favourite do you think he is? Well, obviously, he's got the number one on the car again. Um, he, I've, he said this a couple of times, actually, but um, he basically, his argument is, I never know when I'll have the chance to, to wear it again. And uh, as someone who once had the honour of running the number eight plate because of a British karting championship, quote-unquote, success back when he was 15, I can attest that if you earn a number, you do feel very, very proud. Max's achievement is um, slightly bigger than mine. Um, So he'll have the number one on the car, front and side. Um, I think he'll have big target on the back of the rear wing as well. I I don't see any reason, and we'll get on to cost cap and ACR restrictions a bit later, but I don't see any reason why the Red Bull won't be the car to beat again. The, um, The advantage they had as the season went on last year, the fact that I've... I feel that they were able to just divert things to 2023 a bit earlier because Max just unexpected. Max basically had the championship wrapped up by the summer break, and that ATR restriction. Not to get too much into it now, I feel that that will have sort of mitigated against that quite a bit. So it was he was the best driver in 2022. He had the best car in 2022. I can't see them tripping up massively over the winter. It would be 
really surprising to me if it's anyone but Max, who is the, the pre-season favourite. You did mention in that that he'll have a target on his rear wing, which sounds like you're predicting collisions. So, Ted, do you think he's going to be have to really get there and, and duke it out with a few people? Last year was a little bit too easy. Brilliant year from Max Verstappen and Red Bull, no shame in that. But it wasn't quite the battle we hoped for. Which says something about the new rules, doesn't it? I mean, you know, 2021 with the old rules, we had a fight until the last lap of, well, let's not go into 2021 again, but you all know what happened. And then they changed the rules and Max Verstappen wraps it up by Japan with four races still to go. So you can have your own views on whether the new rules actually closed up the pack, but we can hope, can't we? We can hope that there will be more closing up of the pack, I think, as the rules mature. And I think there's still a lot to be found in a lot of these cars. Uh, talk a, bit, a little bit later about what the technical director from, uh, uh, or the aerodynamicist Eric Blandham was saying from Aston Martin about how difficult these rules still are. There's a lot still to be found, but Red Bull have to come as the favourites. It's Sergio Perez has the same car, or will have the same car as Max Verstappen. We'll talk about the lightweight chassis. You know, there was the, the rumour, which Red Bull never denied, that they had a lightweight chassis on the way for the end of the season uh, that they never raced. Um, so they'll take that as a platform and then make the proper RB19 lightweight chassis. And while everybody can lightweight their cars, which they will have done over the winter, then Red Bull are just starting from a point where they're sort of one step ahead from everybody else. Well, I think the thing that worries me from the point of view of making sure that there is a good bit of competition at the front at the start of the season is that Max had this run last year with all of the wins and just absolutely dominated even though he was never actually really that happy with the car. They, they, they were able to make pro progress through the year with the, taking some weight out of it, making the, the, the sort of weight distribution a little bit better so it was a bit more nimble. Max has this belief that you just can't drive a, you just can't make a fast understeery car. And obviously he can drive that car as fast as it will go, but it just doesn't have the, the, the ceiling that a, a pointier car has. If that's what he can do with a car he's not happy with, and Red Bull have had the back end of last year and the winter to get that car right, or where Max wants it to be, then that's an even more sort of ominous point going into the new year. And it's a really important point that exploiting more of the new regulations, the Red Bull RB18 was obviously the best car, so a lot of teams are following in that direction, but they'll have things they want to unlock beyond even the, the lightweighting and the lightweight chassis. I'm sure they will have a lighter chassis this year, certainly. And we have seen that, haven't we, Ted? Some of the teams that have already launched, Alfa Romeo have talked about unlocking performance potential, Alfa Tauri. So it's quite a slow burn in terms of optimising these regulations, and there's still loads of major architectural things teams are keen to change, and that unlocks whole new pathways, which, of course, in simulation, tell them they'll gain huge amounts of time and keep adding time, and then... The real test is whether they actually do that in reality. Yeah, the weight limit will help, won't it? We'll see uh, only stickers, essentially, being put on the cars. No paint or livery. Haas have already shown us the way that we think people are going to go with that. I think I'm expecting the Mercedes, essentially, just to have a few stickers on and the rest for it to be uh, carbon fibre. The Alfa Romeo, too. That is basically yep. just a bare carbon. We've just a, they've sort of painted the rear third of it red <laughs> and that's basically all it is yeah yeah so you'll have people like alpha tauri who look like they have painted quite a lot of different colors on the car saying oh no we're gonna have to put some paint stripper on it and well williams last off. year was really funny because um obviously we um we saw the the 2022 livery basically the other day because the 2023 car looks exactly the same but when they introduced that livery last year it was a big new branding push it was meant to be this is what will symbolize williams going into the the new doralton era this is what we want our color scheme to look like and that car just got progressive 
progressively more black as the season went on as they had to just strip paint off of it to try and get it under the weight limit or that's onto for, the weight limit. That's for Mercedes and we'll get on to Ferrari I'm sure in a, in a minute but as far as I can tell for, for Mercedes the, the real thing is getting the drag off the car. Um, and that's what really slowed them down. Obviously, the issue with the porpoising, which they've had to go out, out of, and then go down a different, a different route. But um, and while they're nine months behind everybody else, I don't think Mercedes expect to be uh, on the pace early on. They'll probably have a big upgrade package once we start getting to the to the European season to Imola or Spain or somewhere like that. And they'll get quicker. But uh, yeah, once they get the drag off that Mercedes, then we can see a bit more of what they've got. And that all follows from getting the concept right because there were various compromises. They were having to run bigger wings than others because of how they had to set up the car, the higher ride height, the suspension problems. So there's a lot for them to unlock there. Certainly, you'd have to say no excuse for Mercedes not to get to a decent level this season, wouldn't you, Scott? It's not guaranteed, but they've got everything they need to and they've certainly learned plenty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like last season was a good example of something that we, uh, I feel, kind of vindicated from pre-season testing because when they were struggling in pre-season, obviously we were saying this isn't right, Some, something, there's something wrong with, with this car, they're not happy with it. And obviously like 90% of people completely justifiably, their response to that is just like, we hear this every year from Mercedes, they're just sandbagging, they're just, they're just saying that they've got a load of problems, we'll turn up to Bahrain and they'll fix everything and they'll, they'll be absolutely great. But last year was a vindication of the fact that they, they, they do have problems to solve every year, but last year they were so big that they couldn't get on top of them. Therefore, because they couldn't get on top of them through the year really, not the core problems, they had a lot of low-hanging fruit over the winter. There was a lot of things that they wanted to do to the car, but they couldn't do that until they got to the winter. There were other things like making the car lighter that just wasn't a priority in the year as well. So it's all these, not just the primary things they want to improve, but a bunch of knock-on effects as well. So I agree with what you said, Ted, to, to a point about they might maybe after a few races bring a package and then they'll be right in the mix. But I think they'll be disappointed if they aren't sniffing around a win from the very first race. And of course, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell will both be going into the season expecting to be able to fight for the championship and have a bit of a fight between themselves. We've talked about Mercedes versus Red Bull. We'll get on to Ferrari in a, in a moment. But there's also drivers who are part of that. I think we expect Verstappen, obviously, to be the man to beat. So there is that inside battle at Mercedes as well, Ted. So once we get to this situation where we know where the cars are, we'll have a better picture of this. But if theoretically everyone has a similar performance profile of car, which of course they won't. There's six drivers in those top three teams. So who do you want to see Verstappen going toe-to-toe -to -toe with? Are we discounting Perez, are we? No? It's the start of the season. We can't discount there was Perez one, There was yet, one really sympathetic... We no! <laughs> you never know what will happen. I mean, uh, listen, let's say Sergio will be in there. Let's see what he can do. You never know what's going to happen. But... It's George and Lewis. That's one of the really interesting ones before we get on to Carlos uh, and Charles, of course. And, and, and it was easy to think, wasn't it, last year when Lewis realised that he wasn't going to go for the championship. He kind of just put his, took his foot off the gas and think, well, do you know what? I can't really be bothered with this. doesn't matter. doesn't bother me whether, whether George Russell finishes ahead of me if I'm not going for the championship. But I don't think that's entirely accurate what happened. I think we saw a different Lewis. Yes, he was trying different things on the car, different setups, trying different things to understand the car. I think what we didn't see was the usual kind of, once the championship gets going, that extra gear that Hamilton has and is able to access. Uh, we maybe saw a bit of it when George started to come under pressure around Singapore, Japan time, that he learned that he had to come back from and actually motivated himself 
to, uh, he spoke about it after Brazil, his win, didn't he, George Russell, when, uh, when he said, I realised that Lewis was starting to move ahead of me. I was having some issues. He was also struggling as well with, I think, some off-track things with that. I think, you know, he started to get some, got some criticism, got knocked a little bit in Singapore because it was a really messy weekend. Yeah. And because he went through that rough patch, I think he sort of took it to heart as well. So there were definitely a couple of weekends where he was sort of on a low ebb. Yeah, but I think if the Mercedes is good, then we will see... 2021 vintage championship Lewis Hamilton and if it is that good the question is what kind of George Russell will we see and that will be really interesting yeah and what's the knock-on effect if he is right there with him going backwards and forwards through the season performance swinging between the two I'm going to get a little bit of a bit of ahead of ourselves for the question section because producer Johnny has sent me a question we've already had for later in the podcast but I think it's a good way to address the drivers it's from Daniel Wilson who may be in the audience uh, says he's over there excellent thank you Daniel we've moved on this is such a good question we have to tackle it now he says when we talk about the best drivers on the grid we talk about the world champions Max Lewis and Fernando we also throw names in like Lando and George for the things they do in below par cars but what has Leclerc done to be in this conversation and Leclerc we're expecting to be a championship contender or at least potentially one Scott does he have something to prove um in so far as any I think we've talked about this maybe on past podcasts but any driver that hasn't been in a season long championship battle does have to prove whether or not they can win out in that fight and the way it was tracking last year there wasn't an awful lot that Leclerc did wrong obviously there there were a couple of high profile mistakes Imola and France is, is the very obvious one but Max made some errors as well that might have been punished a bit more had Ferrari basically not dropped the ball in new and brilliant different ways every single race up until the summer break. So I, I don't hold that too much against Charlotte. I do think that, um, and this is probably going to go down exactly 50-50, I do think he might be the, 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 the absolute fastest driver over one lap now. Just what he is capable of pulling out is often fantastic. The problem is... The way he is, the way he drives the car, the feeling that he has able to take the car right to that very limit, it's also the trait that bites him sometimes in races. So if he can just, it's, it's that classic thing, can you just rein it back by like 0.1 of a percent so that you don't ever have a, another France moment, keep all of the other good stuff, and then I don't think he'd have a problem in a, in a title battle. But with, with Charlotte, there is just that feeling sometimes that you're just like, there, there, there might just be a, a little mistake in here. He's got immense mental fortitude. He's so, so strong under pressure. It's the mistakes he makes on his own almost sometimes that I think might just be his undo, undoing. I wouldn't say he has something to prove in that sense, but I think we just haven't seen him in a full season battle yet. And that's what I really want to see. Exactly, it's a test he hasn't faced. And the same for Carlos Sainz as well, who we expect to be up there. It's been very nice between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc so far, though, hasn't it? So do you think that might change if there's a full-season rivalry between them? It's really difficult, isn't it? I've been trying to sort of understand that. Half of it is that Max clearly feels warmer towards... Well, it would be difficult for him to feel colder towards Mercedes. I mean, that's absolutely Arctic or Antarctic, depending on where Lewis Hamilton has been over the the winter. But um, he feels warmer towards Ferrari than he does uh, to anybody else, potentially in terms of actually joining Ferrari after he's had his his period uh, in Red Bull. And he could afford, I think, to be a little bit more generous. Charles Leclerc hasn't won any championships. Max had won one by the time he was fighting Charles Leclerc for wins uh, last year. And I think he sees him as 
as quick as him, but maybe doesn't see him as the having the consistency. And I think probably from the the the, the if I'm reading the tweet correct, uh, the, the the question correctly, there's some suspicion of whether Leclerc is overrated. Now we don't really know. We see him. We see him. He's a he's a diamond. Obviously, he's not the polished article quite yet. But from what the engineers and his team bosses and everybody tell us, he is the quickest guy out there. I mean, I don't see with the exception of maybe, you know, you might say Verstappen on a spa day, for example. But Leclerc has that speed that you're talking about. And it's just getting it in the right place. But I think, yeah, when Verstappen starts to feel that Leclerc is a proper threat to him, maybe that nice tease will go away. An incredible driver, Charles Leclerc, just the traction sensing he's got. I could talk for hours about just how good he is in terms of that. So you don't agree with the premise of the the question? No, I, I agree with the premise of the question. I think in terms of what he has to prove, it's showing that he can translate that consistently and, and be tested at that next level, as you yeah. as you said. So I'm hoping we will see that this year. I'm quite confident in him, but he has got a little bit to, to show. But what a battle that would be, especially if we've got all three teams up there, which I'm going to continue to hope happens until reality disproves it. There is another rival, Ted, for Red Bull, which is, of course, the cost cap, because they already have the... Oh, before we get into this, oh, I'm just Scott, gonna... Scott's doing something. This is never good. He's got oh, his. Oh, the cost cap. Excellent. Cost you are. Cap. And just in case everybody is, uh, there are some people that are a massive fan to this. We do want as many questions as possible. So we do have a few here. And we may... We, do, we, do we need to save one for Christian? Well... <laughs> good luck with that. Um, but may, maybe, maybe this is a good incentive. If anybody wants one of these fetching, uh, this, uh, this is really tight. I've got a massive head. Um, maybe we give uh, we give a few of these away for some of the best questions that we get over do the you course want to do of the, the next describing set. for people who are listening to us on the podcast. Yeah, because obviously this hasn't been particularly audio friendly so far, has it? <laughs> um, it's a it's a lovely cap. Some really fine stitching on the cost. Um, and it, yeah, it's a cost cap. It, it's a lovely black cap with cost written on the front. You can get it on the, the, the race store. I'd love to uh, dish out the URL right now, but maybe you can find it in the uh, link to this. Uh, the link will be in the podcast description. H-T-T-P-S. No, <laughs> um, I won't go through that. Thank you very much. For, I did tell you you couldn't have a car boot sale up on stage, but you've, uh, you've, you've tried to do something, so uh, I should have known. I'm not the only one that's brought something from home, so... I have. I'll explain what this is about later. Um, I must say we forgot to talk about Carlos Sainz a little bit, but we'll do that in the uh, in the head-to-head rivalries. So we haven't forgotten about Carlos Sainz absolutely as much of a title rival as the rest of them. Yeah. But what was your question about Mr. Handsome up there? Yes, well, it's the cost cap. They, they already have the least aero testing down to the ATR rules, which I won't explain at length, but that puts them at 70% of the notional maximum, plus the extra 10% loss from that, the 10% increment rather than a 10% loss of what they've got. So that means they've got significantly less uh, uh, aero testing time, wind tunnel and CFD time. So how difficult is that going to be for them? Could it even cost them a title shot, do you think? If the title gets close enough, yes, it could cost them a title shot. Let's, let's remember what happened. Um, it was an accepted breach agreement, so Red Bull effectively play, pled guilty, didn't they, to uh, a breach of the, the financial regulation. Seven million uh, cost, uh, fine, and 10%, as you say, docked from their aero testing. Um, they never acted in bad faith. They never acted dishonestly or fraudulently. The FIA said that. Um, and so what it comes down to, uh, at the time, a team boss who shall remain nameless, boiled it down after all the comings and goings with 
Horner and Marcos and Newey saying this is the worst thing that could ever happen, uh, as opposed to people from McLaren or Lauren McKees or Zach Brown or whatever saying this is absolutely nothing, no penalty. A good middle line was the conclusion that this was a mistake. This was a mismanagement of the cost cap. Because when it came down to it, it was 400 grand, wasn't it, if you take away the, the tax rebate. And yes, you can argue that catering, all that, you know, that was 400 grand that somebody else had to, had to spend on else. But, but with that penalty, with the fine and the 10%, Red Bull didn't want to have that. And they didn't do, they didn't do a dry run, which lots of other teams did, not all of them. They were never really clear about why they didn't do a dry run. I think Horner said at the time we didn't feel it was necessary. There were also other sort of milestones that you go through with the real process that his argument was we should get the feedback we need from that so we don't need to do a dry run. He spoke a lot about how the, the, the regulation was immature, almost like he was expecting this to happen. But they don't want it. They didn't want this to happen. So it was just a mistake for, for that small amount of money, it was a, it was a mismanagement, wasn't it, of, of, of what they had to do. So they're left with this. And while I think, the, while it was an immediate sanction, the 10%, uh, won't have affected too much the RB19 as it is, we see it in Bahrain in a couple of weeks' time, I think it will start to bite over time. And then if it gets tight, it could have an effect on the championship. I think it was a mistake, but it's a mistake born from obviously pushing the regulations as far as you can and interpreting them as aggressively as you can beyond the, it's that classic of um, you know the, the intent of the regulation. Um, but Red Bull is quite famous for saying 10, 15 years ago, Adrian knew there is no such thing as the intent of the regulations. So it's, it's something, I think it's in the Red Bull DNA to push things as far as possible, and they weren't the only team that did it. Like, there were lots of stories last year that, that we heard about different things that teams were doing with um, benefits packages and stuff like that in lieu of higher salaries. That all these things that were, some of them you can question, it, what it all came down to is whether the FAA thought that it was within their interpretation of the rules, and obviously Red Bull fell foul of that. The, the concern I've had about it from basically from the start is I really don't see how we can tangibly see an impact of the ATR reduction this year because I agree I don't see it impacting the genesis of RB19. I don't the early update packages the base of this car is locked in early in 2022. The initial development work is is long since been completed by the time that they get this penalty at the back end of the year. So I don't really see that it really impacts that initial work on the 23 car. It's in the sort of second half of the season that you would see it. And my problem with that is if they start the year with an advantage, which is entirely possible, and I wouldn't really question the legitimacy of, um, if they did start with an advantage, they can then, not to say take it easy in the second half of the year, but if, you, if they then throw it forward to 24 because they know we've got a little bit less ATR, we need to be as clever as possible, let's reduce the in-season development, doesn't matter because if they've got a, an advantage that they can sort of manage from the first few races we're not going to see that impact them in championship terms or in real terms maybe, maybe they'd fade away in races or something like that they'd lose out in the development war but if they get that advantage early on it's not going to matter so much so and, and I'm not saying that, that Red Bull need to be you know hung drawn and quartered for, for what they did but I think for the sake of F1 and the cost cap there has to be some kind of visible tangible impact of a penalty that you get for breaking it otherwise what's the point of having it the simple fact is it will make a difference because it's less wind tunnel and CFD running. If it doesn't have a difference, then it suggests Red Bull aren't doing a very good job with their 
aerodynamic research, which clearly they are, we know they are. So it has to have an effect. And whether it can swing a championship depends on the rest, doesn't it? If they have an advantage like they had over a big chunk of last year, it probably won't be enough to make a difference this year. Yeah. But if it's really close and it might come down to one upgrade package, uh, it, it could. But there, there is, Ted, I'm again freestyling on the questions because someone has sent in a very appropriate question. Uh, Denny Leia or Dennis Leia, I've already got into the mispronouncing of people's names, which is something of a speciality, it says even with the ATR restriction for Red Bull, how much of an advantage is it having Adrian Newey in the team? Said he is an aero genius, well, more than an aero genius, a design genius in all forms. He is, um, although it's pretty hard to get it out of him, wasn't it? Wasn't it? He was very, very coy about exactly how much he'd had to do you gone i have an answer and this is again when we will invoke mark hughes who did a very good interview earlier last year with adrian newey which ran on the race website therace.com don't forget the hyphen if you're going to have a look at that i should be reminding everyone of that whenever i get the chance but adrian newey did actually tell mark in that interview that he basically designed the suspension side himself that was the key bit obviously he had a an input into everything else but he focused on the suspension. It's interesting because, again, yeah, he focuses on aero. He's famous for that, but he's very good at knowing what's important in any rule set. And he understood how that ride quality, the suspension range, etc., was vital to getting the car work they're working aero-wise as well. Which might explain why Red Bull didn't want to give Adrian Newey an interview, or didn't want to give us on Sky F1 an interview with Adrian Newey. They were happy for us to talk to him if we ran into him in the paddock. So. At the Dutch Grand Prix, uh, I did a feature, having done a feature about how Mercedes got it so wrong, I decided with my producer, I uh, don't know if any of my producers are in here actually today, no? Good, I think we'll get away with that. Um, to do a feature about how Red Bull got it so right. And that whole feature depended on an interview with Adrian Newey, which I wasn't allowed to set up, which I hadn't officially been granted, but had been uh, agreed in terms of, you know, you can do this if you ran into him. And so, under the boiling hot Zandvoort sun, started the Adrian Newey stakeout. So, you remember, you'll know that they have, you've seen the pictures of the paddocks, they have these trucks, the race trucks there, and in Zandvoort, the race paddock is different from uh, the motorhomes paddock. So I at least knew where to wait. So at the end of free practice two, um, I waited at the truck uh, engine end of the, of the motorhome, uh, of the, 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 the race trucks, and my producer, Tommy, waited at the other one, and we waited for a good two hours, waiting for Adrian Newey to come down the stairs. And all the time, I was kind of looking to see which truck he might come out of, because they had got three or four trucks there, and if he came out of the one closest to the paddock gates, I wouldn't be able to uh, uh, mistakenly or accidentally, oh, Adrian, funny you're there. I was just, we were just talking with this camera about why the RB18 is so good. What do you think? So we had to go, the camera was always ready, was always ready, and he started to get very bored. And a, a good hour and a half, and I had more or less everybody from the paddock passing me, saying, hello, what are you doing? The day's over. No, actually, it was between FP1 and FP2. And I was like, uh, nothing. So, well, why, why are you here? Why is the camera there? Don't know, nothing. So we just had to wait there. Eventually, he did. So this is Adrian Newey, obviously, takes the shortest lunch breaks of anybody. He did come out. I pretended to be saying something into the microphone like I was doing a live bit and happened upon him. And I said, oh, actually, I was, uh, I don't know what program he thought we were doing. 
to uh, <laughs> half an hour before FP2. Oh, Adrian, I was just saying, you know, to the camera there, uh, what do you, uh, why is the car so good? What did you do? And he gave me a, at least a couple of answers. If you go back and check the feature, you can see that it's sort of uh, on, it looks on the hoof, as on the hoof as it is. But that's a long way of saying the answer he gave was, well, it wasn't only me, it was a big team effort. And I didn't believe him at the time. I thought it was just him thinking, well, sports cars, my previous work with ground effect, all of that. But it turns out it was true. And while he might have had a guiding hand and saying, look, everybody, you know, porpoising, don't forget your porpoising. There was a lot of stuff that came from Red Bull. Well, it wasn't I, just him. I think, I think one of the things that is quite easily forgotten with, with, with Adrian is there's that command he has of concept and just everything, how it all feeds together. So... There were a lot of stories last year about how you know he was so um, so on top of um, porpoising and ground effect and his university thesis or something like that. Yeah, was that did, yeah, so so it goes back thesis. decades his understanding of this and just how much of an expert he is in this field. So it becomes an easy answer of just like oh Adrian Adrian just knows he ground knew. effect. He just yeah. knows ground effect. So of course he was all the rules were written for him. He just but it's it's the other stuff. It's bigger picture stuff, little stuff as well. They, they have built quite a quite a good team and, it, and it's never Adrian that they put up to explain the tech stuff is it it's like uh, Pierre Vache the, the technical director for example or, or, or Paul Monaghan but he's great at explaining it, Adrian Newey when he does talk so he's always fascinating to talk to but he does have a real good feel for where you need to aim when it comes to sets of regulations the other issue when does the second half of the ATR reset itself it's mid-season isn't it it's about June July so what happens if Ferrari are leading the championship Red Bull a second let's say then Red Bull will get a little bit more ATR, won't they? They will, they will get more... <laughs> it's a 5% yeah. step for each position. Yeah, so they will get more... Th th their base level of ATR will increase, but then they will still lose 10% of what that should be. Um, and actually, there's, the, the, you can spin it different ways because I think um, next... I think if you compare it to what the steps were in between initially, it is now more painful that it's up to, to you've got the 5% step, for example. So, yeah, I think by the middle of next season, but I, I would be very, very surprised if they're like second, third or fourth in the Constructors' Championship by then. Um, I would, I am fully expecting them to be on, on top. And I'm sure we will hear plenty of uh, references to the um, significant disadvantage that it's put them at and the significant impact it's had on their, their performance. It's such an F1 chat, isn't it, the ATR, which is all about spreadsheets and tables and percentages of, of maximum. So we probably should move on before we get too, uh, too spreadsheety. But let's talk about Ferrari, Scott. Obviously, Ferrari squandered. I, I honestly didn't, I forgot that we were in front of an audience then, so I forgot that would be incredibly noticeable. <laughs> I don't even know what you were doing there. You were uh, you, playing to the Grimacing. crowd, I presume. That's how there you go. Well, there we go. That's good for those listening on the on the podcast later on. But obviously, yeah, they did squander a quick car. Matteo Bonotto's gone. Fred Vasseur's come in as team principal. How confident are you that Ferrari can turn that around and be less wasteful this year, regardless of how quick their car is, that they'll actually make the most of what they've got? Am I any more confident than in the last fifteen years? Uh, not, no, not really. I mean. I did an interview with um, with Leclerc at the end of last year where we were talking about um, the progress that had been made, the frustrations of the season and where where he was relieved because he was relieved that they were at least fighting for wins because he talked, the way he talked about the 2020 and 2021 seasons, he said that as a Ferrari driver it's so painful. You know that there is this expectation and desire from so many people to, to be at the front and you're just out in 5th, 6th, 7th every weekend. So he, in a sort of twisted way, 
that was the sort of silver lining from the heartache of last year. But I said to him, like, you know, at least you've made that really big technical step from 21 to 22, having already made a jump from 20 to 21. The new regulations did help that, but there's been a lot of effort, so that's encouraging. And I know that the you know the final parts are you know you can't just magic up an extra tenth in performance or an extra bit of reliability, but you've done the hard part surely because you've gone from the midfield to title contention. And Leclerc's view is no, the the next step is as hard as what they've done to get out of the midfield and into the position they are now. And you think of the amount of effort that went into to doing that over a two-year period. I don't think it's the work of a moment. And I think. The biggest problem for Ferrari, the biggest risk, and I think this is why I have don't have the confidence that they will be champions this year. I think they can they can fight for it as long as possible, but I don't think they'll be champions. Is because the problems are split across the board. If you had one area that you could focus on as a weakness, then I think you can have confidence there that over a winter with a reshuffle, with some reprioritizing of uh, personnel and how you do things, processes, etc., you might be able to do that, but. They've got to fix strategy. They've got to fix in-season development. They've got to fix reliability. Any one of those things will kill a title challenge. And Ferrari did it across the board last year. So I expect progress. It's Ferrari. They've got no excuse not to not to progress. Can they progress in enough areas and buy enough that they then become champions? I don't see why I should believe that. But that's not to say they can't make a step because this is longer term. And I think... 24 or 25 is a bit more realistic for them as an organisation. And communications is important for them as well. Interlagos pit lane having arguments with Carlos Sainz and his engineer about what tyres to go out on. Of course, Sainz and his engineer were absolutely on the money. Well, it doesn't help when your tree strategist is one of the drivers, does it? That's exactly <laughs> the same as happened at Silverstone. Sainz would not have won that race if he hadn't been like, guys, can we please stop? <laughs> I, I know best. Yeah, the old stop inventing line. Because, hey, Scott, your cost cap's now inappropriate. So I think you should, I think you should, uh, I think you should remove it for this section. But, Ted, do you have a slightly more optimistic prediction for Ferrari fans? I'm sure we've got a few Ferrari fans in the room. Yeah. <laughs> One very, that very committed Ferrari fan. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So, Absolutely. can you tell the uh, the one Ferrari? From Rosso Corso there are a few others. Is, uh, <laughs> is through the room. Um, yeah, I am quite. I am quite uh, optimistic, actually. Um, I think it's. You know, you look at how many DNFs they had, and whether it's Leclerc with the mistake in France. I mean, it's three DNFs for Leclerc last year, four for Science. So there's reliability um, in there as well. Um, I think it was. It was unfortunate. I have a lot of sympathy with Mattia Binotto. He was a. A Ferrari lifer. I think when he, when he came in, he said one of the benefits of him actually coming in is that he knows everybody. And I think, in a sense, that was the drawback. That was the downfall because he knew everybody and everyone was like, oh, Matty has taken up. Now we've got laughing Fred Vasseur coming in. And I say that because it's my little nickname for him, as you'll find out when we talk to the other teams. I, uh, when we talk about the other teams, I've got little nicknames for everybody. Um, but I used to call him laughing Fred Vasseur because before he joined uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber as, as team boss, if you Googled Fred, Google imaged Fred Vasseur, all you got was him with a snarl on his face like a sort of angry bulldog um, and then when I got to know him actually he is laughing Fred Vasseur you go in he comes in to the pen I know what he's like with you for an interview he'll always crack a joke when he comes in you say bonjour and he'll, oh, he'll crack a joke about how terrible your French is and you know he's got this lovely amenable affable exterior so he is laughing Fred Vasseur but he is at a, at a benefit coming in from the outside and while he's being very very uh, easy and optimistic and at the moment saying he doesn't he's just there to, to to see what happened to understand the issues you know 
the second part of that that Ferrari is saying is that where he sees deficiencies, he will fix them and they will improve. And I think he's a little bit of a more scary prospect, Fred Vasseur, for everybody who works in the, the Scuderia Ferrari and the Gestione Sportiva, than potentially Mattia Bonotto, who we all know, who we have lunch with and stuff like that. So I think he will help. And I think Carlos Sainz, uh, as we see on the picture behind us uh, with his burning car in Austria. By the way, can we just say what a great job he did with the front wheels? That if it was to um, completely uh, explode itself to pieces, he angled those front wheels just perfectly that it was going to do it by the side of the armco and not go back into uh, turn three. So didn't he do a good job there? Good. Um, but uh, apart from that, you know, I think science, science is you know, such a quick, intelligent driver. I think last year's helped him. I think he's going to be right up there with Leclerc. And the noise is coming out of Ferrari is that while they're downplaying the rumors of you know, huge rocket ship style improvement, there is a positive feeling. They've worked on reliability, the car looks good, it's a good step forward, they say, from last year, and uh, they're feeling like they can be up there straight away. There was another thing as well from the back end of last season that I think really encouraged them, which was, I think they convinced themselves um, that they hadn't actually bungled in season development as much as even they thought they might have had at one stage. I remember around Monza time, they were a bit concerned that some of the floor developments that introduced mid-season had actually thrown them off track and they did a bunch of back-to-back -back tests and that kind of thing just to make sure that I think they even did it at the, um, at the filming day that they ran as well and they did that across an, an, an FP1 too so they were they were dead keen to try and work out actually do we understand is this maybe why we've gone off the boil and after that they were very very convinced that it wasn't which is why they then introduced I think the new floor was it in around Singapore Japan time and it worked the way that they expected it to work. It responded, in, I think, pretty much exactly as the simulation suggested. And I think that gave them a little bit more confidence to pursue that design development, uh, that design direction further. So they would have then gone into the winter knowing that they don't have to tear up the last three or four months of um, progression. They can actually pick that up and think this is a, this is a worthwhile avenue to explore. Well, I think we all want to see Ferrari up there in fighting because the more in the title fights, the better. But let's move on a little bit now to the midfield, Ted. You can, if you like, tell us who parks their car well because that seems to be a, a big topic for you. Carlos Sainz's parking has moved off the screen now. Though. Who do you expect to be at the front of that group, best of the rest? Because we still expect there to be a bit of a gap between the top three and the rest. So we have the kind of Class B. Alpine won it last year. What do you expect this year? Yeah, there's uh, Alpine, we've got Lando up there and Fernando, I'll come to Fernando last, but uh, well, we should do Alpine uh, first, I guess, because they finished off uh, in that best of the rest last year, not by very much from McLaren, but uh, enough, and then there was a significant drop towards uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber. Uh, the feeling around Alpine is that uh, things are going well, maybe not astronomical but it seems to be okay they've changed they had a lot to change front and rear suspension they've changed the cooling system the rear body work uh, they've been working very closely with Viry Chatillon on the power unit reliability the dreaded water pump is gone well, maybe not gone, but it's been repackaged. To be fair, they did say that they'd fix that after Alonso's failure in Saudi Arabia because they introduced <laughs> a modified one in Spain, I think it was. So we'll take a rain check on whether that's really so. Uh, okay. Yeah, the, uh, the Alonso water pump. How many DNFs? Uh, across four? different sessions I think it, no, I think it was uh, well the water pump was water sort of pump. two or three specifically oh, okay. wasn't yeah, it yeah, but yeah. then there were I think there was five or six in competitive sessions and then you have the knock-on effects from that as well yeah. always car 14 Ted always, always car, car 14. 14 yeah yeah so, except when uh, it isn't that was something for <laughs> Uncle Otmar, as I like to call him. There you go, there's another nick nickname. Um, for Uncle Otmar, he just looks like an uncle, doesn't he? He looks like a sort of nice Uncle Well, he Otmar. does now you said it. 
Yeah, good old Uncle Otmar. Um, he'll be uh, he'll be on top of things there. So there's no reason really that Alpine shouldn't stay there. McLaren will be up there as well. They've got a new team principal, of course, that will help um, or hurt. We'll see how Andrea Stella does in the kind of everyone knows him around the factory. Whether the same Binotto thing will happen to Andrea Stella, um, but yeah, the big question for me is Aston Martin. Um, and to answer your question, who should be the best of that group? I'm going to go with Aston Martin. Oh, that's very, very bold. Obviously, big ambitions there. Their new factory, yeah. they're due to move into in May. I had a bit of a tour of that at the back end of last year. Very, very impressive. I want to explore this further. Why do you think a highly combustible driver going into a highly combustible team owner is going to work? You're so unkind. He's not highly is it based on Is it based on the massive, massive success Aston Martin have had over the last two seasons? He's highly... <laughs> He is, Fernando is highly motivated. Have you noticed he's doing his usual new team trick? He's lined up a load of Astons outside the museum in Oviedo. He's, he's, he's done everything apart from the McLaren haircut, hasn't he? And wearing that gr terrible gray petroleum suit when he joined McLaren. No, I mean, listen, he's excited about it. He says there's a lot of potential there. And I believe him. I think there is. I think they've got the new, the new technical leadership, Dan Fellows uh, and Eric Blandin. Um, we'll see the launch tomorrow or if I can say this for the podcast, we will have just seen the launch. Um, and, you know... Car looks great, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks fantastic. Um, it is based around the car that finished, you know, 2022, just a, a point off, uh, off P6, but... Or was it P6? No, P5. No, P6. Um, but it has some, some new bits on it, a uh, few tricks... Uh, but something else Eric Blandon was talking about was still exactly that, what I said earlier about how there's still so much to be found from these cars, simulating a lot of what these cars go to, the ride heights they have to go to, the, with the floor changes, is very complex, it's very difficult. The wind tunnel cannot replicate, it's not possible for the wind tunnels they all have to replicate what these cars are going through in this new Formula One. And so. Certainly, Fallows and Blandin were seemingly su suggesting that there is a load of performance still to be found if someone can get there, and it doesn't take much for them to find it, to them, for them to find it. And while I just think about McLaren, you know, they're not, they haven't got the, I think the new wind tunnel and the new simulator come on this year, and so they haven't got that yet. They've got to deal with a new team principal. They've lost... Uh, Maybe they've lost the, the Ricardo thing, which is good. Maybe we'll talk about, talk about Piastri later. But um, I think McLaren will be close in them. So I see it as Aston Martin. That's the reason I see Aston Martin. I think McLaren have got their issues, um, arguably with a worse driver lineup or not as competitive without Alonso. Let's put it that way. With Alpine, I think Alpine and, and McLaren will be closely behind Aston Martin. That's the reason. I think the problem with that midfield trio is I don't see any of them lining up with like a like an ideal mix of everything. Yeah. Like McLaren feels as a, an organization race team in terms of getting everything out of what they've got, feel the most advanced in, in that stage. Aston Martin's obviously, I think only really now coming out of a, a growth period from the, from the Force India days and with the investment, they're still trying to make sure all those pieces come together. Um, Alpine, I like both of their drivers individually. Um, I think, I think they're, perfectly decent front-running midfield drivers. They're good, maybe very good, probably not great F1 drivers, but they're both also decent guys. So I genuinely wish them the best in that situation, but I think their driver lineup's the, the weakest of, of, of that trio, although maybe they're getting sucked into the Lance Strolls of potential world champion hype from, from <laughs> Alonso. And Aston Martin is just, it's just a bit, 
messy in terms of the potentials there, but can they really tap into it? So that's why for me it's quite difficult to actually pick one of those that's actually going to break out. I don't see either of them making a particularly compelling case, but I would I would say Alpine, not because I have a huge amount of faith in them to actually build on a season, because we've seen since the Renault Works team rejoined the grid that they've had these good years and then sort of faltered. But they they had the strongest car at the end of last year. The way they reworked the technical technical organization did seem to work and I I quite I don't know how, how you feel about it, but I quite like Matt Harmon in that sort of senior technical role. He was a really, really good recruit from Mercedes. His job at Mercedes was on inter integration, integration between engine and, and, and chassis. He, he knew it was his job to, to make a really, really good functioning works team and make the most out of a works partnership. And I think we've seen Renault, Alpine take the benefit of that. So if they ended last year in the best place of those, they have all the resources of a works team. They do seem to be working a bit better. I think they'll have the best car of the three but that doesn't mean they'll finish ahead in the championship because I also think they, I don't know, are Alpine or Aston Martin the driver lineup that's most likely to drive into each other in Bahrain? <laughs> you so, know, you've already answered this in the past, Scott. Alpine. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I spent a few days with Lance Stroll over the, uh, uh, over the winter in Revelstoke in uh, Canada for a, a feature that we're showing on Sky F1 uh, later in the year. Um, we were going to keep it secret, but then Aston Martin's social media went and put it all over there. So uh, the, uh, the, the secret was out, I might as well tell you. Um, and I've got, higher, you know, I've got higher hopes for his season um, than, uh, than, than some might have. But you know, let's not forget, his seventh season, and he's still only 24, Lance Stroll. So he started ridiculously young, sort of Max Verstappen level young. So I think he can put a load of points on that. The only thing I'd say in defense of Ocon and Gasly is that they are both proven point scorers. And while Piastri gets back race up winners. to speed... Race winners, exactly. When Piastri, while Piastri gets back up to speed, which I don't think will... Well, we don't know how long it will last. He hasn't raced for 16 months, has he, Piastri? Um, maybe uh, Alpine will be able to get there on the points scored between Ocon and Gasly, who are properly solid drivers. Well, one team that's conspicuous by its absence from this conversation, Ted did very briefly allude to them, is Alfa Romeo. They, of course, were right up there in the midfield early last season, trailed off a little bit. So I'm wondering, Scott, is this the chance for the first time this season? I'm, to pay, I'm way ahead of you. Are you going to pay actually. a visit to one of our favourite places on the race, F1 yes. podcast? What is it? What is of course, it? we've gone there regularly over the years. Ted's occasionally visited it, even in the Sky Sports F1 coverage. What can it be? We're going to find out. Ah, there we go. It's... Valtteri Bottas, Sympathy Corner. And for the benefit of those listening later, Scott's just come on with the real Valtteri Bottas. A slightly two-dimensional version, I would say, but uh, he's about the right height. Hang on, you're missing two crucial things here. Mullet, yes, thank you, sir. And moustache. Oh, he's not as... he's also... No, he's, size, he's a bit more like this. size is about right. He's slightly square, isn't he? I can't help with the mullet, but I do actually keep behind here some, uh, some uh, standby moustaches if I need them um, to escape any Christian Horners around the place. So uh, I do keep some uh, false moustaches here, here. So there we go. This is going to come out great on the podcast. <laughs> 
Yes, well, Good for the benefit Valtteri. of those listening, later, Ted has just furnished Valtteri with a, a kind of uh, a moustache that's roughly like his. It's got a bit of a Movember vibe, hasn't well, it? Well, uh, is, is it the right colour? I mean, the one, if, if, when, I'm, when I'm avoiding Christian Horner and Helmut Marko, I tend to put the sort of grey one or even the orange one. We're, but, we're uh, a bit worried about the width of this one and what it might look like yeah, if we put it on him. Yeah. So. so there you go. So we've got the, got the moustache on there. The fastest mullet in the West. Why are we sympathy? Why are we putting sympathy towards Valtteri Bottas, Ed? Well, because we're not talking about Alfa Romeo being at the front of the midfield and therefore Valtteri Bottas being in Miami spec from last year or early in the year when he was <laughs> racing up the front, bothering Mercedes drivers, getting some big results. Say that. I, I think um, I, it's hard to say this because obviously he's entered that partnership with a lot of, a lot of hope and with good reason because there's been good progress from, from, from Alfa Romeo and the work that Sauber have done there. But my concern is that in this rules cycle, in that midfield... I am concerned that Alfa Romeo might have peaked last year. They, the, the first half of the season in particular was was very very strong. I was impressed by how they bounced back at the end of the year, but do I think that Alfa Romeo and therefore Valtteri can start this year exactly as competitive as last year when they were seriously so so impressive? I don't see that they can because they don't have the head start that they had for the start of the, the new technical rules. You know, they were one of the teams that were able to write off 2021, basically, and say, we're going to focus on this. They don't have that now. And they do still have limitations. They're still bringing themselves up to the budget cap. They're still making... They've been expanding the, 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 the workforce at, at HQ. So I just think they've got better resourced, more experienced, slightly more capable rivals. And when, when I put him in sympathy corner for this, it's because he, he did do generally a, a very good job last year. And I feel kind of bad writing his season off when, we have, when we've only just seen the car and it's only just done a shakedown. It's really cold back here in Sympathy Corner. It's all freezing and I feel bad. Um, Appropriately no, I finished mean, then. The, cars, the car looks... The, the, the Alpha Sauber looks okay, doesn't it? It kind of looks a bit like a, someone's put some uh, ideas from Red Bull, Mercedes and Ferrari into a cannon and then thrown them at the, uh, at the Sauber and see where they end These up. These cars seem to do well last year. Can we do a bit of yeah, that? a bit of that. But, um, well, what's the other reason? Because, of course, we talk about... People always ask me or have a go at me why I call them Alfa Romeo Sauber. Well, the reason is that they're going to be Alfa Romeo, then they're going to be Sauber for a couple of years, and then they're going to be Audi. But will he be there? Yeah, that, that is a... I think that is a, a concern because I can't remember how old will Valtteri be by the time the, the Audi deal rolls around in 2026. Not too old that he couldn't still be racing in Formula One. And I think he can actually be quite effective for a team like that with his experience. And we also know that if they got in, if they got in a megastar driver to lead it, which Audi will want to do to front that works project, sorry Valtteri, it isn't you. Oh, um, he could be, we, we, we know that, and I know he hates this word, he's a fantastic wingman. And that is that always comes across like you're insulting someone but to to be in that absolute basically top tier group of number twos it, there are a few drivers that can actually do that i mean checo's done a good job at red bull last year but look how difficult he found it when he stepped up in 2021 for example it's not easy to do he's very 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 good but he isn't a works team's megastar lead driver audi lando valtteri no maybe lando I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's see where Audi could end up with Lando and some driver we don't know yet. You know, a sort of. Well, they want a German driver, don't they? So I think Mick Schumacher kicks around for a few years and then. We'll see. Is he the the driver that you want as your works team? 
That's a good question, but we are going to see this process of Audification, I like to call it, and we'll see that on the driver front as well. But yes, sorry, Valtteri, it's not going to be a great season for you, but I'm sure he'll do a good job. Well, we can, we, can, we can let him sort of just listen in for the rest of the podcast, I think, just as a silver lining. And we might, we might let people have a few photos with him outside after uh, Yeah, we'll take him out with us. Any, any Alfa Romeo fans? Yes. <laughs> I knew I was taking a risk asking that question. <laughs> Just to be a bit kinder, any Valtteri Bottas fans? Hey! They're all in. This is brilliant. <laughs> we'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We like to think we've converted a few Valtteri Bottas fans, but we are going to talk a little bit more about the drivers now. Lots of big inter-team rival, intra-team rivalries, rather. We talked about the inter-team rivalries. This will be the ones inside the team. Your teammates, your first rival, of course. So we're going to, in this section, just skim quickly through each of the ten teams and ask which teammate will finish ahead in the championship. We're going to do this Mr. and Mrs. style. Scott and Ted should both have whiteboards and hopefully non-permanent marker pens with which to put their answers as who they think is going to finish ahead. And we'll also uh, canvas the audience a little bit. So we're going to go in reverse championship order. First up, we have Williams. So it's Alex Alban versus new boy Logan Sargent. Who's going to finish ahead? Audience. <laughs> so if you think Alban's going to be ahead, quick cheer. Logan Sargent. Very good commitment to Logan Sargent there. Let's see what Ted and Scott have got with their exciting reveal. Can I say whoever said who cares? <laughs> that won't be the worst review Collect. we get. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any surprises on this one. So Scott's got an yeah. album. Ted's got an album. I mean, Scott, uh, yeah. it, well, Ted, it's obvious, isn't it, really, given it's the rookie versus a driver of Albans level? I mean, listen, I love the Williams story this year. Don't get me wrong. I love the way James Vowles is coming in uh, he's basically doing a George Russell, isn't he? He's being sort of uh, potentially, maybe, no one's saying it, loaned out by Mercedes uh, to go and do some time at Williams. Do you reckon his you contract's so watertight that he won't be able to get out and we'll <laughs> have to do a third season as well? For, th for three years. And after the third year, I really want to go back to Williams. Why won't they let me? Um, but I like what's going on there. I think it's a good appointment. Um, but James will be looking at Logan Sargent, who, of course wasn't his appointment really that was the the people further up in in Doralton and the engineers who see 
promise in Logan Sargent, and he'll be assessing him the way that James assesses any young driver, and so that will be hard for Logan as well. I don't think Logan Sargent will do as 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 uh, have as much difficulty as some people think he will. I think he'll be might be at the bottom of the the timesheets, but I think he's a he's a he's a solid driver from what we saw in in Formula Two. But I, I think Alex will come out on top. We're going to have to. Say, I'm not going to let you talk, Scott, because we've got to rattle through these so we oh, can. Do we? Sorry, we can get out. Well, yeah, we. Well, well, sorry, I did, I sorry Logan Sargent. I was going to make the case for you, but fine. No, sorry, you'll have to. We'll do that on another podcast. Let's move on to AlphaTauri now. So, who thinks in the audience Yuki Sonoda will be ahead? Nick de Vries? Okay, the Dutch are in, evidently. Nick de Vries. So, I'm quite interested. Scott seems to be pondering. So, reveal your choices. Ted has gone with Sonoda, yeah. and Scott has gone to Vries. Scott, a quick explanation in one sentence of why you've gone to Vries. I, I don't share Franz Toss's optimism that the Alpha Tower will be particularly stunning this year. I fear it will be a bit of a repeat of last year. And then it just basically comes down to who happens to be in the right place at the right time um, to, to get the big points haul on the day that that car happens to be most competitive. And I think they're both 50-50 in their capacity to do that. But we saw what De Vries did at Monza last year. One opportunity, nailed it. And Yuki, really like him, loads of potential. I, I just don't think he's quite able to bring it together as often as he needs to. Good use of exotic punctuation mm. to make that in, 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 in one word. But we, we're going to have to move I, on to Haas now. <laughs> Who thinks I, Kevin Magnussen's going to be ahead? Nico Hülkenberg? Oh, that is interesting. I thought it might go the yeah. other way. So what... Oh, Scott's thinking, but we're going to go to Ted for his comments on this one. I was going to say on Yuki that... Uh, hang on, I haven't actually written who I was going to... I was going to say on Yuki, I, he showed towards the end with some good point scoring at the end of the year, but then I actually checked the facts, and there was one point <laughs> between the Abu Dhabi... He did a really good job and doing a really good point scoring finish. Yeah. <laughs> Singular. One point between Monaco in May for Yuki and Abu Dhabi. Oy. Can I delete the... the no, anyway. Uh, right, I'm going for Hulkenberg. The audience and the panel are agreed. I feel bad about this because I think actually it probably will be Magnussen, but... It didn't feel right when I wrote it, to be honest. No, I know. But I, just, I can just see... The way Kevin tended to get into trouble sometimes, the sort of losing track in races, I think Nico, once he gets his eye back in, will just be Mr. Solid. Uh, Hulkenberg's just got that great history of converting really good opportunities into really big results, so that's what I, that's what I think will win it for him. I'm going to risk a stat from memory. I think he's got 97 points finishes between 4th and 10th in F1, but I'm ready to be proved wrong when I double-check that. Let's move on to Aston Martin. This is a very simple oh, one, I think. Hang on. Obviously, right, Lance Stroll, I'll, I'll stand back for the cheers. Oh, there's a few Lance Stroltons there. Fernando Alonso. And now I'm, I'm waiting to see. Oh, uh, Scott's gone with Alonso. So has Ted Kravitz. Uh, this isn't really uh, worth discussing too much because... No, no, no. I'm saying just because of Fernando Alonso is, is such an accomplished driver, nothing against Lance Stroll. I forgot to give you uh, to ask the question about which long-standing record have Yuki Tsunoda and Nick De Vries already broken in terms of their partnership in Formula One. Correct, sir. They are the most diminutive driver pairing since Anthony Davidson and Takuma Sato, beating them at Super Guri by four centimetres. That is a brilliant stat, another brilliant Thank bit of much. taking this section back to Alpha Tauri yet again. Yeah, sorry you, about you that. Do, that, that. I think that stat was worth it. But Fernando Alonso, he's just very good, isn't he? And Lance Stroll is, quite, is a decent F1 good. driver, but he's not Fernando Alonso. 
might start to get a bit more interesting in terms of the, the, the toss-up between the drivers. McLaren, anyone backing Oscar Piastri? Have we missed Alfa Romeo? We've missed out. No, no. Um, well, I didn't this, do... this order's gone completely wrong. We have, yeah. Thank you. I've got Alpha next. An excellent choice. Well, these are right. We so need, to, we need to record our podcast in front of an audience more often because then they catch all of your mistakes and I wouldn't have to be the one that feels bad saying, Ed, no, this. This is great because it does actually save McLaren next on the list. And normally it's me that writes the list and gets it in the wrong order and has to be corrected, but someone else has done it. Are so we blaming producer brilliant. Johnny? Yes. Uh, yes. Everything that goes wrong is the producer's fault. Everything that goes right is down to us being absolutely brilliant. So by popular demand, sorry, Valtteri, forgot you again. Let's talk about Alfa Romeo. So who's Team Bottas? And how about Joe Guan Yu? Bit of support for Joe, but everyone's going with Valtteri. Yep. Scott's gone for Valtteri. Ted's gone for Valtteri. Everyone's going with Valtteri. Would you have gone with a different one if he wasn't watching us? Yeah, I mean, he, he looks so happy. He's <laughs> just, just got such lovely eyes. I, I, I think um, one thing that is worth saying on, on the Alpha drivers is actually, I, I think Joe did quite a good job last year, and I think he did better than some people gave him credit for. I also think in the second half of the year, he gave Bottas a little bit more grief, especially over one lap pace than perhaps, certainly I thought. I, I, I felt that Joe's weakness really is qualifying pace, does everything he needs to in, in the race to a really decent level. But especially in the wet, um, I think he surprised himself actually with just how quick he could be in qualifying. So maybe he'll um, prove us wrong, and his second second year will uh, just heap more more misery on Valtteri when we back in Valtteri Bottas simply corner a bit more. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be visiting it a few times, shall we? Definitely for the first time in this live <laughs> podcast. Think about the McLaren drivers. Anybody supporting Oscar Piastri to finish ahead? Lando Norris. Okay, I can see Scott has gone, Norris as well. What's Ted going for? I can't quite see. I'm slightly obsessed with the new Lando merch line. Has anyone, uh, has anyone seen it? Has anyone bought anything from it? Ah, oh, it's nice, isn't it? That script stuff. And I've tried to... I've Have tried you to bought do... something from it? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Somebody's fishing for a freebie. I've tried to... Uh, I've tried to... No, I won't accept it. Um, I've tried to replicate the negative space, the, the four in the negative space of the L and the N. If you haven't spotted this, I'm sure you've all spotted it, but if you haven't, it will blow your mind. Ted, you're going to be stunned when you see the old F1 logo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an F, isn't it? Am I seriously well behind? Is this an idiotic eureka moment where I'm the last person to realise there's a four in the, between the L and the N? It's not idiotic. <laughs> Just unobservant. An idiotic eureka you can, moment. You can have your own eureka moment. It's no, still it matters. was a eureka moment with the uh, when the key ring came out with the merch line, and it just shows the four in between the L and the N. Absolutely not. Yeah, there's no reason. That's the worst reason why I'm saying Lando Norris is going to score more points than this, than uh, uh, Oscar Piastri. But Piastri hasn't raced for a year and a bit. He needs to get back up to speed. I think Lando maybe might have been accused of taking his foot off the gas slightly, faced with Ricardo, who wasn't much of a, a, a point scorer ahead of him. That's yeah, fair, isn't no, it? No, that's fair, but I, but I don't think he did. it in a very aggressive way. I don't think he did, and, and, and I think he'll redouble his efforts or will want to show, want to push on, be self-motivating Lando this year against Piastri. But we'll see how. Right, I'm going to have to push everyone on because we want to get to questions Sorry. at the end, so we'll <laughs> rattle through the last teams. Alpine, Pierre Gasly. Esteban Ocon? 
Oh, that's close to a draw, isn't it? Really, what have we got? Really tight. I can see Scott has gone Esteban Ocon. He looks a bit surprised. No, I'm just disappointed you're ruining the reveal. Uh, <laughs> Ted's drawing out the reveal. Don't know. I can't make my mind. We broke up. Ted. I can't make my mind. Up. Who will score most points? Yes. They're basically the same driver, so you you <laughs> you, you can't get this wrong. <laughs> All right. It's going to be close. No, I, I'm going to change my mind. <laughs> For lo- no, for longevity, I'd say Ocon, but because he likes a lot of stuff on Instagram, uh, Pierre Gasly. <laughs> Actually, he's going to have to watch that, isn't he? The whole Instagram stuff, because he's not going to find as sympathetic an ear with the likes of the hard people who run Alpine, the likes of Pemain, Kyron Pilbeam, Uncle Otmar. You know, they might not be as... Sorry, I'm just going off on one here. They might not be as, as, as enthusiastic for Gasly's Instagram uh, I was going to say obsession, but, but keenness to do the social media, uh, indulged as he was at, at Alpha Tauri. What do you think? I have no doubt that Alpine would have been very rigorous with the contract that Pierre Gasly signed. They would have made sure that <laughs> anything involving Instagram social media will be covered. So I'm I can't say see there'll be any problem. I'll say Gasly. I'll say Gasly will score more. <laughs> I'm saying Ocon. Okay, so it's going to be close. That's what we're saying. So let's go now into the top three. Mercedes. <clears throat> oh. So who thinks George Russell will be ahead? And Lewis Hamilton? A little bit more for Hamilton there, I would say. Does anyone want to come and do this for me? <laughs> Whatever I do here, I'm wrong. Just join, put, join the club. Just don't put uh, Schumacher, he's their third Join one. the club. <laughs> okay, ready? Yeah. Oh, okay. Ooh, two Hamiltons, interesting. I just think we'll see... We'll see the Lewis of 2021, I, if, I, if the car is good. I, I think, if, I think if, you und, if you eliminated the first third of last season, I know seasons don't work that way, um, I, I don't think there's the perception of Lewis's season last year that, that there was, it, and it was, it was skewed by other factors. The only thing that made me briefly wonder um, if about going for, for Russell um, is I do expect Mercedes to be fighting at the front this year. Uh, I do expect them to be fighting Red Bull, and that unfortunately means that there are inevitably going to be more hassle moments between Hamilton and Verstappen because they can't they just can't help themselves. Lewis will have a few more DNFs, and that's how Russell will sneak in ahead of the championship. <laughs> very, very possible. I'm extremely optimistic. <laughs> he's good though. He's good though, Russell. Though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Very he's good. good. Very, very average qualifying. Yeah. There was very little between them last year on time. So. Picking Hamilton ahead of Russell is in no way, a, um, you know, a suggestion that that Russell is in any way no, like an no. inferior driver overall. No. No, no. He is just we're just comparing him against one of, if not the best driver of all yep. time. Yeah. Let's get on to Ferrari now. Who is going for Charles Leclerc? <laughs> and Carlos Sainz. Definitely a win for Leclerc there, but there's some very committed Carlos Sainz fans there, which is very, very good. Scott and Ted? I'm going to go Sainz. Oh, we have a split here. We haven't talked much about Carlos, so make your case. Just think he's, he's, he's had the year that he needed. I think he was blown away by, by Leclerc's speed, and it took him some time to figure out where, where that was and where he could do the deficiencies in his own game. Um, I think inevitably he will have... <sighs> get close. I'm starting to convince myself that that's the wrong thing, actually. Um, and he has to battle against the Binotto, sorry, the uh, Vassar Leclerc. And something interesting I did get from Ferrari is that while Fred Vassar was very keen to say that there is absolutely no number one and number two, they did rejoin quite quickly on the end. But 
if Fred feels that at any point in the season it's the right thing to do to favour one driver, he will do it, which is more than we got from Mattia Bonotto, isn't it? So maybe I'm wrong on this one. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> You're doing a great job of persuading yourself what against do you think, your own Scott? arguments. Number one Ferrari? No? I, I, don't think, I don't think they'll have the, the number one, number two. I like the idea of them actually being forceful when it comes to just whatever's in front of them. If it's to win a race or to prioritise someone who's better placed in the championship, they have to make that call cool. um I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were happy to lean towards leclerc he's been the you know the long-term north star for for that team for for a few seasons now and as much as i genuinely really rate signs and i think he will push leclerc clo close i think leclerc just has that little bit extra and let's just get on now to red bull max verstappen versus sergio perez who's going for sergio perez a few a few there i think max verstappen might win this but for the sake of formality, let's just check. Max Verstappen? And in the, yes. <laughs> yes, well, that's a good point. Well, how, for the, for the benefit there is a serious of, side to this. For the, for the benefit of the people listening on the, on, on the podcast, I wrote Ricardo because I'm really funny. Um, I, I, I know this will probably be interpreted as a massive slight against Perez as well. I was like, oh, even Ricardo will beat him and he's not even driving the car. But no, I'm, I've... Obviously, out of the two actual drivers, I think Max. Like, there's, there's no reason to think that, that Perez will, will be able to beat Verstappen. Um, I think Ricardo could yet be, though, the biggest winner of any of the Rebel drivers out of this, this season. He will know what he wants for, for the future. Um, and on a serious note, um, I spoke to, spoke to Daniel a lot through last year, did a, did a really nice interview with him, long interview with him in, in Singapore. And um, he went through the ringer over that sort of probably 18 months or so really at McLaren after the first few months of his time there. And whether he decides he wants to come back to F1 or walk away, I, I think that will give him a lot of uh, peace. And I think he'll sort of reconcile something within himself. I can't have too much sympathy for someone who's probably being paid millions and millions of pounds not to race in Formula 1 this season, which is, a, I'm not being paid millions of pounds not to race in Formula 1 this season, but on a personal level, yeah, I hope he gets, has the year that um, just sort of helps him for the future. Besides, Valtteri gets all the sympathy anyway. There's no more for anyone else. We're now going to try and fit in a few audience questions. We have had some sent in. We'll try and get through what we can. We will see if anybody has any live questions to ask. We do have someone on stage who's very adept at wandering around pointing microphones at people. So, Scott, do you Me? want to yeah. head down? Uh, yeah, I can do. You're a bit closer, Ted. Do you think you're I'll up to go, it? I'll go. We should explain <laughs> what we're going to do with this. So, judged by absolutely nothing apart from ourselves, um, the ones we thought, the questions we think are the best, the second best, the third best, and everything, we'll either get a cost cap, or we'll get this model, this diorama of Nico Rosberg's Mercedes F1 W07 from 2016, signed by Nico Rosberg himself in our production office at Sky F1. When I uh, foisted this, I didn't bring the whole car out, but uh, I brought the back bit. Asked him to sign it. Um, I can't shift it on eBay, basically. <laughs> so uh, you get the, uh, I'm not saying it doesn't have value. It has immense value. But you get the, uh, you get the box as well, which has the original dust on, uh, on the front there. And it's been on TV as well. Uh, if you Google um, uh, explaining ground effect with a Dyson, that's the model I used for uh, explaining ground effect with a Dyson. <laughs> so some of the best questions, think of your best questions and then uh, 
yeah, depending on who and what, then you get a cost cap or a Nico Rosberg car signed by the man himself. Well, while you're thinking about your questions down there and Ted gets down on, all the way down the, the four steps, which obviously take a good <laughs> half an hour, we'll just throw in an initial question from Amit Mandalia, who is a serial question asker on a variety of platforms about F1, who says that one rivalry that looks like it's happening this year is FIA versus FOM. FOM and the teams reluctant to accept a new team entry. FIA keen on it to happen. Can we see a political year, Scott? A very quick answer to this very potentially long answer question. Yes. <laughs> slightly quicker, slightly Good. longer. Well, we've already had it in pre-season. It's been dominated by off-track rows. Um, there is division between F1 and, and, and the FIA on a pretty serious and, and fundamental level. I remember back in Miami last year, there, were all, there was actually no Bahrain testing. I remember speaking to someone in testing last year saying that it would be quite nice if F1 could just massively marginalise the, the FIA and, and bring them down to the bare minimum. That was the case 12 months ago. And Ben Sulayan wasn't even that active on Twitter back then. So it's just, it's just got even worse over the winter. Now he's taken a back step. Maybe it will calm down. But I, I think this is going to run and run. And would anyone in the audience like to throw in a live question? Preferably one that's very inaccessible for right. Ted to I'm climb over everyone. With the most difficult one uh, as I can, right at the back. <laughs> And uh, we have a question, yes. Where do we have a question? Hi, yeah, I wanted to ask um, how much of a disadvantage will it be for Mercedes not to have spent a lot of time developing last season due to having to sort out porpoising first? But you should take this question. Should Nine take months this. behind, of course, wasn't it, Mike, that Toto Wolff said? Nine months behind. Yeah, I did speak to Mike Elliott about this, their technical director, and he said, yeah, they had a period where they were just flatlined in terms of ongoing development because they were troubleshooting, etc. So, yeah, that will have an impact. Obviously, they had to pause try and understand what they were dealing with, and then they need to develop at a quicker rate than the, than the others in order to catch up. Toto Wolff made that point at the end of the season. So I think this is why, I think Ted said earlier that there's a good chance that they'll have a slightly slower start to the season and get stronger. So I think, yeah, you're right, there will be a, a bit of a disadvantage. And although they learned lots last season, I think there will be a, a slightly slower start this year just because they're playing catch up. But We'll need to judge their new car when we see it in a few days to get a bit of a clearer idea of that. Do we have any other questions yep. for Ted? Um, so thank you very much. Um, obviously, Red Bull have won um, five Constructors' Championships, but their drivers have never finished first and second in the Drivers' Championship. So do you think that that's something they're going to be aiming for this year? And do you think that that would be a target for Perez to keep the Red Bull seat in 2024? Well, I think it was um, it was something that they massively, massively wanted at the back end of, of last year. Obviously, they had everything wrapped up two-thirds of the way through the season. They kept referencing how much they wanted the one-two. And, um, yeah, I don't want to criticise or sound like I'm, I'm, you know, bagging on Checo too much, but th that was his opportunity to finish second in, in, in the World Championship. You saw the, what Max was able to do with that car, and in the second half of the year, they did have... A significant advantage. I don't think it's fair to say that Perez should have done better in the first half of the season because I think he did a good job in the first half of the year. But Ribble will want it, whether it's possible or not. It depends on whether Checo's capable of actually making that step. It's it's one lap pace where he's he's really lacking to, to, to max over a season. So that is ultimately going to be the decider. That and obviously whether Mercedes and Ferrari actually give Red Bull any more hassle this year. Otherwise it could be a walk in the park. 
And any more questions? You can, if you sent the question in as well, ask it in person if you like to. Because we've, we've got to make more questions as, than as we As difficult as possible. Uh, Ted is to, running uh, the gauntlet now. Right in the middle of. Uh, I've stepped on an empty plastic glass of lager. Oh dear. Yes, sir. Do you think Logan, Logan Sargent is deserved of his place in Formula One this season? You can have that. You were the one who wanted to talk to him. I had him a minute. No, ago. no, no. You didn't let me talk about earlier when I wanted to. Thank this you. is all yours, Chief. No, he's a good driver. I think he's someone who could go either way. I think he could be quite successful or not quite get it together. Obviously, it's a difficult situation being at Williams. But yeah, I think I think Sergeant can prove himself. Yeah, I, I think um, I think if you look at him and say uh, he's, he's a race winner in every category he's done, so I think that is. That, that means he's meriting of a, of a place. The problem is you don't know whether or not he is there because of the previous regime, whether it was that was a, that was a I don't want to say he's a relic, but a relic of that, that, that prior management, and whether or not he will be a priority in the James Wells-led era. That, that's the question. It's whether or not the, the people that were there before clearly thought he was do the people that are there now. And where have you got to, Ted? Uh, I've got to three here, so we can have three in a row because everybody is sat next to each other, so we can answer them in tandem. Uh, let's start with you, sir. Thank you very much. With Mercedes showing, showing no sign of slowing down their commitment to Formula One and Audi coming in in 2026, how do you fancy with all your experience of F1 and how their political games work a return of a German Grand Prix in the near future? Excellent. Return of German Grand Prix. Love that. I just wanted to ask about Lando Norris because like Max Verstappen said the other day, that he like classes him in that same category as like the really top level. What is it about Lando Norris' style of driving that really like puts him in that category for everyone to think, yeah, put him in a race winning car and he'll do so well? Brilliant. I hope you're taking notes of this, Ed. I think last season was good in terms of we saw statistically a lot more overtakes and there was a few track modifications made, but given the size of the cars now and we are getting more overtaking, are we going to see more track modifications, hopefully width in some places, Zandvoort for example, um, going, going forward to generate better racing? Good set of questions there. We'll try and take one each. Shall I take the German Grand Prix question? Yep. I think Germany would like a Grand Prix. Nürburgring and obviously Hockenheimer both like it. The trouble is, can they afford it? And I think with a lot of competition, it's going to be difficult without a promoter popping up or kind of Dutch Grand Prix style and saying, right, we really, really want to have a, a race in Germany. Unfortunately, they struggle to, to break even and, and let alone get near making money. So I think German Grand Prix we might have to wait a little bit longer for, but it's a classic race, so we should have it. Lando Norris, would you like to talk about him? I thought you would want to take it. I want to I'll take Lando. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Largely because I've forgotten the last question already. <laughs> I've um, written it down. So. I asked, thank you. Um, I asked someone about this. Well, it was Andreas Seidel, actually. So what, what is the strength that you're seeing of Norris at the moment? He said, it's everywhere, but it's especially in qualifying. It's all the stuff about, you know, the, he can adapt to everything. And he, someone else likened it to when you get in a higher car and when you're not actually used to the way a different car works. And it take, might take you, you know, a few corners or half an hour to get used to the higher car. It's a split second that Lando Norris has to any changing environment in his car to get used to it, which explains some of the Ricardo difficulties, but also his qualifying pace. And that's what Seidel said was most underrated for Norris, was his qualifying pace, and that just makes everything else so much easier on a Sunday. Yeah, and just great adaptability, which is always the thing with great drivers. Scott, track modifications, track modifications. both the need for them... <laughs> And the DRS chances of it. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's definitely something that is worth exploring. And I think F1 has and the FIA have been looking at ways in which they can alter track layouts. The big concern that I have on that subject is obviously the proliferation of street tracks that we're getting. There's more and more street circuits that are being added to the calendar. 
and Max Verstappen has spoken about this quite a lot and said it, we don't want that ratio to go too far in, in, in that direction. It's actually one of the arguments I sometimes make about Monaco and why I don't really feel Monaco's the special place, you know, the untouchable place on the calendar that it once was. And I know Ed's ready, getting ready to disagree with me, but because street tracks are sort of becoming ten a penny now in Formula One and the more place, and everyone wants to sort of embrace that. So if we're going down that street track route, it has to be slightly places where you can have a more open track. I've looked at the, you know, we've all, I think we've probably all seen different clips of, you know, what Vegas is going to be like this year. And I just, I just have such low hopes for the actual sporting side of that event. You are, of course, wrong about Monaco. Uh, Ted, who have you got? Great oh, argument. I was briefly distracted by the uh, nice lights on the mixing desk. Sorry. Yes, there's a question. So, um, Fernando Alonso raced for McLaren twice. Uh, Nigel Mansell raced for McLaren once. If you take... Fernando's second stint with McLaren and you were team bosses involved in the team who would you prefer to work with Nigel Mansell or Fernando Alonso that's a good one that's a great question isn't it <laughs> today I think probably Fernando Alonso he's a bit quicker than uh, than Nigel these days how, how, how good's the car in this hypothetical scenario like Okay, so we're going with that Ooh. as the reference. <laughs> I, I don't think it could have gone much worse than it did with Nigel Mansell, unfortunately. But yeah, both both great drivers with great great skill, and probably actually they're both in that that area of drivers who didn't win as many world championships as they should have done. I'd probably go Alonso purely on the basis of I'd just like to be on the inside of that just to see how great it can be and then how quickly it can implode. So just from a purely fascinating. Just to actually see it up close. What version of it? Because I, I, a few people in F1 have, have said this to me that there are um, there are two different versions of Alonso that people talk about, or three different versions. Sorry, there's the version of Alonso they talk about before they work with him. There's the version of Alonso they talk about when they work with him, and there's the version they talk about after they've worked with him. And I don't mean that disrespectfully towards Fernando. It's just obviously he he can leave a very very powerful mark on a team for better or worse, and it does impact the way people in F1 see him. And Alonso did have the chance to, in his second McLaren stint, have a bit longer and turn in some good performances. Obviously, the Mansell 95 McLaren, that was always a bit ill-starred, wasn't it? We're straying into Bring Back V10's podcast territory here. We have done one about Mansell and McLaren, actually. We can probably fit in one more question. One or two. I'll tell you what, I've got a couple here. Let's do quickly two at once. Okay. Uh, first of all, really love the show, so thank you. Um, I just wanted to say I've loved F1 all my life, but I'm in, uh, becoming increasingly concerned about climate change and sometimes find myself feeling guilty about following F1 with all the travelling around the world and everything that goes with it logistically. I was just wondering whether any of you feel that same and whether you think F1 are doing enough to like, combat it in terms of um, grouping races by continent and stuff. Okay. Very good one. And the uh, last one? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's very noticeable that last season the top four manufacturers all had a, a works engine deal. So with this in mind, how far can Aston Martin in particular, with all their infrastructure and investment, how far can they actually go up the table without finding their own works engine deal? Uh, picking up on the, the climate change question, just purely because I, I don't know whether I call this a mistake or not. I, I, I made the mistake a couple of years ago of um, working out what my carbon footprint was roughly by going to 18 or 19 of the races every year testing and stuff like that and I was absolutely horrified by it. It's something I've never been, con climate change is obviously something I've been aware of but like what I am doing by covering Formula One is something I'd never ever thought consciously about and that was a shocking eye opener for what it was. You then sort of 
do some of the tests uh, of like, oh, what could you do to, to cut your footprint? And like, I can do nothing unless it, like if I unless I stop going to the races, like that footprint is not coming down. So it is something that I think once you're aware of, a bit like Seb talked about last year, once it's been made aware of to you, then you do struggle to, to look past it. And I do have some doubts about how exactly F1 and the FAA can reconcile what their stated aims are and what their actions are. The 2023 calendar does not make sense. There, there are element, there are combination races on this calendar that are absolutely nonsense. And I don't just mean that from the logistical point of view of trying to plan and book flights for Vegas and then Abu Dhabi at the end of the season, which is expensive and a massive pain in the backside, but it just doesn't make any sense to just be jotting around different places, crisscrossing. I know it's a longer term plan to try and group the races a bit more sensibly by region, but I was hoping that we'd have had a bit more progress on that front this year. I mean, the only thing I'd say on that is, A, I tend to agree with you, sustainable and fuels. If we can, you get Pat Simmons on this, and we will try and put him on TV as much as we can this year, but they are making incredible progress in sustainable fuels, and that is SAF as well, sustainable aviation fuels, that is coming on, and if we can just use F1 brain power and the money, to actually kickstart, to turbocharge the sustainable fuels, we're doing a lot. At Sky F1, we do an awful lot to cut our carbon footprint. There's not much you can do about the calendar. It is what it is until it changes, as Scott says. But essentially at Sky, you would be amazed how few people we are sending out. Anybody who, when the cars are on track, can see the sun, they are the only, or the lights, if in the case of Vegas or Singapore, they're the only people who are there. The rest of the people are back at Sky in Osterley, not being flown around the world. So we're doing everything we can. The teams are doing everything they can, but uh, sustainable fuels, I think, is the answer. And I think on the Aston Martin question, with a non-works engine deal, you can go a very long way, but where it really will start to hurt you is when you're in that final bit fighting for a championship that where 0.2% swing either way on performance can make a difference. So Aston Martin will keep saying that it's not a disadvantage, but they will be trying very, very hard to find someone they could be the works partner of. So yeah, it, it's it's not a priority ceiling for them to break through because they've got a lot of other areas to improve on. But once you're up there, it could make a difference. And I'm sorry we couldn't get through more questions. We were surprised by how many there were, both from the floor and sent in. We will try and answer a few more hanging around after as we are going to be uh, be out front uh, after the show to have a chat to people so I do hope we've managed to whet everyone's appetite for the season to come normally it's just me thanking the guests at the end of the podcast but I've got the audience to lean on this time so can we have a big hand for Scott Mitchell Mound thank you very much and of course for Sky Sports F1's Ted Kravitz And a big round of applause for Ed Straw. Good remembering there, Scott. Thank you very much, Rob. We're going to be hanging around to chat. Feel free to come to our merch table in the foyer. Say hello. Perhaps ask Scott for a few more details about public transport in Stockholm. He's very interesting on that. Thanks so much for coming to see us. Please do stay with us for the rest of the season for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One.
The Athletic.